Well, good morning, church. Good morning to those of you who are watching online. Thank you for tuning in wherever you may be watching today. Today is the final message in our Conversations series. Uh, we've been talking in this series for the last month or so that we live in a broken world and God uses conversations to share the hope of the gospel, everyday conversations to share the hope of the gospel. And so the whole series is based upon the idea that it's good to talk to people about God, but today's message is a little bit different. Today's message is, yes, it's good to talk to people about God, to have those conversations, but sometimes you need to have a conversation with God about people. It's good to talk to people about God, but sometimes you need to talk to God about people. That's called intercessory prayer, and my guess is a lot of you have done that over the years. There have been times and seasons in your life where you have prayed for somebody, especially for their salvation. In fact, I'd like to ask you two important questions, and I'd like your participation. You don't have to raise your hand or answer out loud, but I'd really like for you to think about the answers to these questions. First of all, the first question is, Who are you praying for to be saved? For many of you, there's instantly a name, there's a face, there's that person that maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a child or a co-worker or a neighbor, and you're praying that they'll put their faith in Christ. Maybe it's your one, that one person you want to see come to faith in Christ this year. So my question would be, who are you praying for to be saved? Then the second question is this one. Who have you stopped praying for? What person in your life did you want to pray for fervently and consistently, but the days turned into weeks and the weeks turned into months and months turned into years and eventually you stopped? I will be the first to admit that I don't understand everything about prayer. I know that God lets each person decide for themselves whether or not they will follow Him as Lord and Savior. And I realize that you and I can't save anyone, that you and I can't make that decision for them, though we would certainly like to. Yet the Bible teaches something that really is pretty amazing. The Bible teaches that you and I can pray for someone's salvation. Now again, I don't want you to misunderstand that. We can't make the decision for them. We can't manipulate God to do something in their lives. But yet we have the privilege and the opportunity to actually pray, not only for our salvation, we have the privilege and the opportunity to actually pray for someone else's salvation. And that's really an amazing thought. But, but what does it mean? What does it mean to pray for somebody else's salvation? And how does that even work? Well, an example of that kind of praying is found in Romans chapter 10. Would you take God's Word with me and, and find God's, uh, the, in God's Word Romans chapter 10? <clears throat> Romans chapter 10, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 1 through 4. I just right now want to read just the first verse. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. We have an example of intercessory prayer in Romans 10.1. And here's what we read. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God For the Israelites. Is that they may be saved. I want to talk to you first of all about the motive of intercessory prayer. Paul reveals the motive here in the first part of verse 1. What is the driving force behind intercessory prayer? 
Real intercessory prayer comes out of a burden, not out of an obligation. It's born out of a burden, not an obligation. It's sparked by the awareness of someone's true spiritual condition and your concern for their ultimate destiny. Paul talks about this in verse 1 when he talks about my heart's desire. The longing of my heart, Paul was saying. Brothers, the longing of my heart. Sisters, the longing of my heart is to see the people of Israel saved. This was a burden in Paul's heart, not just an obligation that he felt. Do you have anyone like that that you're praying for to be saved? Is it the longing of your heart to see your son or daughter, your dad, your best friend come to faith in Christ? And their salvation becomes a burden on your heart. I, I bet I'm talking to some moms that know what that's like. I bet I'm talking to some grandmoms who know what that's like. It's the, the burden on your heart that drives you to pray for the salvation of those that you love. That was Paul. Paul had this burden on his heart. Look at it again in chapter 10 verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire, my longing of my heart, the one thing I want as much as anything else, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Now, to understand the depth of this burden, you really need to go back one chapter to chapter 9. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, will show you the depth of the burden that Paul had. Paul says in verse 1, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. Before we go any further, I want you to notice that three different ways in verse 1, Paul is trying to underline the fact, this is the absolute truth. I'm not exaggerating what I'm about to tell you. I'm not exaggerating what I'm about to tell you is absolutely true. Three times, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. What is it that is so important that Paul wants to tell us again and again and again? Listen, I'm telling you the truth. Let's read on and find out. I have great sorrow, not just sorrow, but I have great sorrow. And unceasing anguish, not just anguish, but unceasing anguish. An anguish that doesn't, heart, doesn't stop. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in, anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. You see that word cursed? Paul said, listen, I'm going to tell you this is the absolute truth. I'm not exaggerating. I am willing to be cursed for my people. The people of Israel. Now that word curse is the Greek word anathema. And it means to be delivered over to the wrath of God for eternal destruction. Paul is saying, let me tell you the depth of my burden. I am willing to be turned over to the wrath of God for eternal destruction. Or, in other words, Paul was saying, I am willing to trade places with my fellow Jews and take their place in hell if that would get them into heaven. That's how much of a burden he had for his people. You see, the motive of intercessory prayer is the awareness of someone's true spiritual condition and the concern for their ultimate destiny. That's what Paul is displaying here in chapter 10, verse 1. Do you have a burden for anybody? A burden that drives you to pray? A burden that drives you to your knees? Do you have a burden for somebody's salvation? Let me tell you why you and I need to be concerned about those for whom we're praying 
We need a burden for those that are lost, whether it's our neighbors or whether it's our family members. Let me tell you why that burden ought to be real in your life and mine. It is because people are not in the process of waiting to be lost. You know, sometimes we have this idea that once they die, they're lost. The Bible teaches that people are already lost. They're not heading towards that time when they will one day be lost. The Bible teaches in John 3.17, they're already condemned, they're already lost, they're already disconnected from God. And in fact, in Romans 3.10, it says, there is no one righteous, not even one. In our own standing, we all stand before a holy God as lost. There's no one who can be in a right standing with God without Jesus Christ. No one. That's why Paul has such a burden to pray for the salvation of his own people. Go back to Romans chapter 10 now, verse 1. Let me remind you of of what intercessory prayer is. Here's intercessory prayer. It's caused by concern for someone else, and that concern is so great, you have to pray for them. Brothers, my heart's desire, and my prayer to God for the Israelites, that they may be saved. So that's the method of intercessory prayer. Let me talk to you about the meaning of intercessory prayer. It's the second part of verse 1. There are two key words I want you to underline in your Bible. These are, these are some important words. It's the word to and the word for. If you want to understand intercessory prayer, those two words are key. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Intercession is going to God in prayer on behalf of or for someone else. The word literally means to be the go-between. The word literally means that you don't stay neutral, you don't ignore their lostness, but rather you intercede for them. And it literally means, watch this, you stand in the gap between them and God. Would you look up here for a moment? Some of you are doing that right now, aren't you, for your son or your daughter or your grandchildren. You're standing in the gap between them and And God, that's intercessory prayer. That's the meaning of intercessory prayer. If you've got a lost friend or a parent or a brother or a sister, they don't know God, but you do. They don't know God, but you do. So you talk to God for them. You have one of the most important conversations you can ever have. You try to have a conversation with them and tell them about Jesus. And then you have a conversation with God. You're praying to God for them. Can I say to you, there is no greater prayer you can pray than praying to God for them except the prayer for your own salvation. There's no greater prayer you can pray. Because there is no greater need that that person has than the need for salvation. So the greatest prayer you can pray for them is when you pray to God for them. That's why it's so important that we understand intercessory prayer. Because you are literally standing in the gap between God and them. And you're standing there in prayer. Dr. David Jeremiah went to seminary at Dallas Theological Seminary. And while he was there, his favorite professor was a godly professor that I've heard teach several times, not in person, but online, Dr. Howard Hendricks. Uh, Dr. Hendricks is in heaven now, but one of the most gifted teachers and communicators you you could ever see. You, uh, you, You would just be amazed at this great man of God and all that he, 
the way that he has the ability to make the word of God come to life. One day, David Jeremiah said he remembers one day that Dr. Hendricks came into the class with tears in his eyes. And he addressed the class. He said, gentlemen, I want to tell you something. My 75-year-old father received Jesus Christ as a Savior. Then he said, that might not be meaningful to you unless you, I tell you that for 40 years I have prayed for his salvation. For 40 years, 40 years, this godly professor stood in the gap between his earthly father and his heavenly father. For 40 years, this godly gifted teacher who had an incredible ability to communicate. I'm sure he tried to communicate the gospel to his father. And for 40 years, he prayed to God for his dad. You see, it pays to pray. And it pays not to give up. Certainly, discouraging times come. And sometimes you wonder how long and why is it taking so long and and when is God going to answer? But remember this, there will always be discouragement if you don't pray. You might be discouraged in prayer, but there will always be discouragement if you don't pray. Prayer prepares your heart to perhaps share Jesus with them. And prayer definitely prepares their heart to hear the message of Jesus Here's intercessory prayer. The method of intercessory prayer is very simple. You talk to God for them. Because you know God. They don't. You know God. They're not related to Him. You, you know God. They, they don't have a relationship with Him. But you do. So who are you praying for? Who doesn't yet know God? Let me give you the reasons for intercessory prayers. I look at Romans chapter 10. Paul gives us two reasons. For intercessory prayer. The first reason is this. People are often misguided. Paul explains that in verses 2 and 3. For I can testify about them, that is the Israelites, that they are zealous for God. I want you to notice that. Paul says, I can testify. I used to be among their number. I can testify. I've lived among them. I've watched them. I know them. I can testify about them. I used to live the way they're living. I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Paul emphasizes that his fellow Jews were very zealous for God. Now there's one thing you need to understand today to, to understand why Paul is so burdened in this prayer time. You need to understand that the Jewish way of life is built around God. The Jewish way of life is built around God. God is supreme for the Jew. The Jews take God very, very seriously. He is the most important element in their thinking. God is the most important thing in their lives. I mean, have you ever seen Fiddler on the Roof? Fiddler on the Roof is a great example of how seriously the Jews take God and God's teaching. The Jews have a zeal For God, unlike anything probably that you've known, the the Orthodox Jews have a zeal, an absolute zeal to know, obey God. But Paul says, but their zeal is misguided. 
He tells us why this is so, and, and he describes it this way. Their zeal is not based on knowledge, it's misguided. Verse 2, then he says in verse 3, since they did not know, watch the, watch the direction here. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. The Jews, Paul said, try to establish their own righteousness. And because they are trying to establish their own righteousness, they have missed the righteousness that God makes available through Jesus. And the irony is heartbreaking. Listen to me. They are the people of God, yet they have missed the gift God has offered them. The irony is heartbreaking. And in fact, if you go back to chapter 9, we were there a moment ago, back to chapter 9. I want to pick up again in verse 4 and look at verses 4 and 5. And Paul lists, he lists for us all of the privileges that the Jews had. And it's quite an impressive list, the privileges that were theirs. Paul says, I'll start in verse 3. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Then he describes the privileges that are theirs. He says, theirs is the adoption as sons. That is, they are the very chosen people of God. Theirs, the divine glory. In other words, God has revealed His glory to them. That God has actually manifested His glory to them. He goes on to list more privileges. The covenants. That is, God made actual covenants with them. That God participated in life with them. And made special covenants and promises with them. Then he says, the receiving of the law. That is, that God cared so much about these people. And they were going to be the people of God. That he actually gave his law to them. And then he talks about, look at the next one. The temple worship. These people had the privilege of having a sacred place to worship God. They had the absolute sacred place in Jerusalem, the temple. God provided them a sacred place to worship Him. Then He says, and the promises. That is, God made special promises to their forefathers like Abraham. To bless them and to use them to touch the world. He made special messianic promises throughout the Old Testament. That there was a Messiah coming. They are the people of God who have been given promises from God. And then he says, theirs are the patriarchs. That is, their, un, their ancestor, ancestors were the great men of God. Their ancestors were great people of God. And then he says... And from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ. In other words, from their lineage, the actual Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, was a Jew who came from them. And that is why Paul is so heartbroken. His fellow Jews, just look at all the privileges that they've had. Look at all the opportunities they've known. And yet they have failed to understand God's plan of salvation. Listen to me, church. Rather than putting their faith in Christ, the Jews in Paul's day preferred to count their own righteousness, to count on their own righteousness to make them acceptable to God. They decided that was their best course of action, that the best way to be right with God is to count on their own righteousness. 
Many religious people today are doing the same thing. They, they're filled with good works and they're very religious and they're counting on their own righteousness to make them right with God. They're trying as best they can. Trying as best they can to be the best that they can. I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to tell you because I don't want to be misquoted. Those very practices, trying as best you can to be as good as you can, those very practices sometimes can actually keep you from getting saved. One of the reasons we stand in the gap and we pray for someone's salvation is because they often don't see their own sin because they're so focused on their goodness. They see their goodness and the good deeds that they've done and the good life that they've lived and the good family that they've come from and the good things that they've done in church. They don't see themselves as sinners. They see their own goodness. Those are the people that Paul was writing about. They've tried to establish their own righteousness. They're so focused on their own righteousness that they can't see their need of a Savior. Sir, madam, I want to say to you as best as I can, you may be sincere and devout in your religion, but sincerity and devotion will never save your soul. Only Jesus can do that. And anytime you try to substitute self-righteousness for God's righteousness, it is doomed for failure. I've debated about whether or not to tell you all this because I think I've shared it before, but some of you are new and you probably haven't heard it. And so let me, let me just share with you real quickly this idea of self-righteousness and goodness getting in the way of accepting God's righteousness. I know that from my own life. When I was, when I was a kid, when I was in elementary school, can I just be honest with you? I was a good kid. I'm, I'll, can I tell you how good I was? In every year, every grade, I won the Good Citizenship Award for my grade. I got certificates to prove it. I'm not lying. Every year, Good Citizenship Award, my name was on it. And in fact, can I tell you how good I was? I was so good that when it got to the sixth grade, I was 11 years old, sixth grade, when you get to the sixth grade, they have something called the DAR Award. It's this group of, of women, and, and I don't understand, daughters of American Revolution. Thank you. Well, they come to the school, and they want to know who is like the best kid in the school. Because we've got a medal we want to give to the best kid in the school. Guess who the best kid in the school was? I've got the medal to prove it. I, listen, I, honestly, I was just a good kid. I was a whole lot better than my brother Dave Shorter, I can tell you that. <laughs> I mean, I, just, I was just a good kid. Best citizen, all, I was just good. I, I, all the teachers loved me. I, I was just good. When I was 11 years old, I still wasn't saved. And I didn't really think I needed to be because I was so good. I mean, I didn't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do. I was good. One Sunday morning, Clifton View Baptist Church, when I was 11 years old, the same year I got the DAR medal for being good, the same year I got that medal, one Sunday morning, sitting in church at Clifton View Baptist Church, I suddenly became aware 
that I wasn't nearly as good as I thought I was. I suddenly became aware of my sin. There's not a lot of sin in my life, but there was sin in my heart. The Holy Spirit began to convict me that I was a sinner. Yeah, I was a good person. And I was devout. I was religious. I was in church every Sunday. I was a good person, but the Holy Spirit of God began to convict me that I was a sinner. And I had no hope of ever removing the sin in my heart. And it was on that Sunday that I walked away from my goodness and I came to the front and I put my faith in Jesus Christ and His goodness. Paul is standing in the gap for his people of Israel because this is their problem. Look at how he describes it in verse 3, chapter 10, verse 3. Paul says, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God, they they didn't realize there is a righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own righteousness. Listen, human effort, no matter how sincere, you cannot substitute for the righteousness of God. If you don't put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not nearly as righteous as you think you are. If you're praying for someone who's lost, here's what you pray. You ask God to open the eyes of the person for whom you're praying and show them their sin and their need of a Savior. The first reason for intercessory prayer is because people are often misguided. They think good people go to heaven. And that's not true. It's not good people that go to heaven. And I'll show you that in a moment in Scripture. The second reason for intercessory prayer. One, people are misguided. Number two, people are missing the salvation that Jesus offers. Look at verse 4. Paul says, Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Paul knows that no righteous work done by the people of Israel would ever qualify them to stand blameless before a holy God. Paul understands because he used to be one of them. He used to be in that camp of trying to live right and do right and think right and all those kind of things. And then Paul says, Christ is the end of the law. He did not mean that Christ did away with the law. He did not mean that Christ somehow abolished the law. He's simply saying Christ fulfilled every part of the law. He lived perfectly and fulfilled and obeyed the law. And so that's why he can offer us his righteousness. Because he fulfilled the law. But watch this. Get your Bibles. Get get your Bibles. Look at verse 4. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who... What's that last word? The last word is not behaves. That's the way we think about it. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who behaves. But it's believes. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to say this with a pastor's heart, but your behavior will never get you into heaven. Your behavior will never put you into a right relationship with God. Good people don't go to heaven. Believers go to heaven. That's exactly what Paul says. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone, anyone who believes. And if you have a question about that, go over to Romans chapter 1, verse 17. 
Romans 1.17 says, For in the gospel, in the good news, a righteousness from God is revealed. Again, notice the direction. A righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. First, from first to last. That is for anybody, just as it's written. The righteous will live by faith. So if you're praying for someone who's lost, you keep standing in the gap for that person, believing that Jesus is the answer for their lives. Believing in Jesus, that that Jesus is the one that they need. And here's what you pray. Listen to me, here's what you pray. Lord, show them that they need to believe in Jesus rather than believing in themselves. Show them that they need to believe in Jesus rather than believing in themselves. You're the go-between between God and them. God, would you show them? Would you show them that they're not nearly as righteous as they think they are? God, would you show them that they need to believe in Jesus rather than believe in themselves? Lee Strobel tells a story when he was pastoring one day. He was it was a big church and had a big platform. They had the baptistry on the stage, and because it was a big church, they would march up onto the stage, and they were allowed to bring one person with them when they were baptized to kind of stand with them as they're baptized. And Lee Strobel said he was standing there preparing to baptize the next lady who walked up. He said she was she was in her sixties. And standing next to her was what he assumed was her husband. And he was a big, brawny, tough-looking man. Lee said he would look like a construction worker who could pound a nail with his own fist. That he was just a big dude and a bad-looking guy. And so Lee's standing there and <clears throat> here's the lady about to be baptized. Here's her husband standing with her. And Lee says to the lady, Ma'am, have you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? And she said with a big smile on her face, with all my heart. Lee was about to baptize her. She was in the water. He was about to baptize her. And he noticed the big brawny guy. And he said, I've never done this before. Not exactly sure why I did it then. But he said, I, I turned before I baptized her. I turned to ask the guy, the big guy, have you ever given your life to Jesus? Now he's on the stage. In the middle of the church service. And he's asking this big guy, have you ever given your life to Jesus? The man looked surprised and he looked offended. And Lee said, I thought he was going to hit me. Because he was just glaring at me with anger. He said, he stood there, just glared at me. And all of a sudden, he burst into tears. And in sobbing, he says, no I haven't, but I want to right now. And right there on the stage, Lee led him to faith in Christ as he prayed the sinner's prayer. And then, he not only baptized this lady, he baptized him too. And then the congregation sang amazing grace in celebration of the miracle they had just witnessed. At the end of the service, Lee was stepping down off the stage, off the platform. And as he stepped down off the platform, another young lady came running up to him and threw her arms around his neck and put her head in his shoulder. And she was sobbing. He said, I don't have any idea who this lady was, but she grabbed hold of me and was sobbing. And she just kept saying, nine years, nine years, nine years, nine years, nine years. 
He said, I, I didn't know what to do. I just kind of let her hold me and sob. And she kept saying nine years. said, eventually I kind of moved her away. I said, ma'am, I'm sorry, but who are you? <laughs> and what do you mean by nine years? She said, that's my sister-in-law you baptized today. And that's my brother that you led to faith in Christ and baptized with her. And I've been praying for that man for nine long years. And the whole time I've prayed for him, I've never seen one hint of any spiritual interest in the things of Christ. But look what God did today. Lee said instantly as she was standing there weeping and telling me this story, instantly he said, I, a thought popped into my mind, here's a woman who's glad she did not stop praying at year eight. You might be saying, well, Pastor, it's a nice story, but I've been praying a lot longer than that. I've got a wayward son, and I've been praying for him for 15, 16 years. I've got a hard-hearted parent, and I've been praying for my dad for 20-plus years. i got a friend from high school, a best friend in high school, and I've been praying for him since high school, and he still hasn't put his faith in Christ. Can I say to you, prayer is not just another thing that we do, but intercessory prayer is the best thing we can do when we are the go-between between God and those who don't yet know Him. You say, but Pastor, why does God not answer? Right? You've had that thought. Why, why am I still praying 15, 20, 25 years and God doesn't answer? I mean, I get it that I'm the go-between. There's God and there's my dad or my son, my daughter. I mean, I get it. I'm the go-between. I'm praying to God for their behalf. I get that. I just don't get why I'm praying 25 years and He still hasn't answered. I want to say this with the pastor's heart. I'm trying to say it gently. The problem is not God. The problem is, God has, is not that God has lost His power problem is not that God does not love them. The problem is not God. And the problem is not you. The problem is in the heart of the person for whom you're praying. I can tell you how I know the problem is not with God because the Bible says God is not willing that any perish but that all would come to repentance. That includes that person you're praying for. The problem is not God because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's how much He cares about this person you're praying for. That if anyone puts their faith in Christ, I have everlasting life. The problem is not God. Yes, you've been praying for 25 years. But it shows you why you need to keep praying. Because the problem is not God. The problem is in the heart of the person for whom you are praying. So don't you stop. Don't stop. Don't give up. I'll say to you, I don't have all the answers about intercessory prayer. I don't want to pretend like I do. But I do like something Mother Teresa once said. She put it all into perspective for me. Mother Teresa said, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I stop, they don't. When I pray, when I stand in the gap and I pray, see God do some things. When I stop, they don't. 
We have the ability, we have the opportunity, we have the privilege to talk to God on behalf of somebody else. So don't lose heart. You keep standing in the gap. You keep believing that God still loves him. God still loves her. You keep believing that God's going to show them their sin. That God's going to reveal himself to them. You keep trusting. You keep praying. Because if you don't, who will? Who will? Intercessory prayer is needed because people are so often misguided think they're okay they're misguided and they're also missing a life-changing opportunity with Jesus Christ so stand in the gap pray to God for them would you join me as we pray right now every head bowed every eye closed I'm going to ask you if you'd like to just come to this altar you could even start coming now before we even sing. You got somebody on your heart, that, that burden that Paul talked about, my heart's desire. You've got somebody on your heart, you just come to this altar and start praying for them. Just remember, the motive of intercessory prayer is the awareness of someone's true spiritual condition and a concern for their ultimate destiny. That's what motivates you. That's what drives you to your knees. And today, this is another opportunity for you to get on your knees and just to pray to God. Say, God, I can't change them, but you can. I've had conversations with them. Now, God, I need to have a conversation with you. Their heart is hard. Their eyes are blinded. They don't see their sin. They don't see a need of a Savior. And you keep asking God to work in their lives. By the way, it might be that you're here today or maybe you're watching online and you recognize, you know what? I've never been saved. I'm a religious person. I'm devout. I'm sincere. I've come from a good family, but I've been trusting in my own goodness. I've been trusting in my own righteousness. I've been trying to qualify for heaven. I've been trying to be good enough for God. And today you recognize that is an impossibility. There is none righteous, not even one. Your only hope of having a relationship with God, your only hope of really truly being forgiven, forgiven, your only hope of really having an opportunity to go to heaven is not in your goodness, but it is your faith in God's goodness expressed to you through Jesus' death on the cross. The Bible, remember, it says to everyone who believes. Would you believe today? Would you express your faith in Christ today? Would you let this be the day you believe? Thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. Your mercy is unending. And though our hearts are sometimes heavy for those who do not know you, especially those in our own family, thank you for the reminder, the powerful example of Paul, who continued to pray with a broken heart for his people. Help us to continue to pray for the people in our family, the people in our circles of influence, the people who are far from you, the people who don't yet know you. May they come to saving faith in Christ. And that's our desire and that's our prayer in Jesus' name.